I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2020 Strip-Till Farmer podcast series supported by AgriSolutions. In today's program, we get some strip-till perspective from the southern U.S. on how an effective system can conserve moisture and sustain crop health during the heat of summer. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to AgriSolutions. AgriSolutions is the market leader in wearable parts, components, accessories, and solutions for tillage, seeding, planting, fertilizing, hardware, and inventory management solutions. Improve performance and durability with a wide range of in-field solutions to advance your strip-till system. To learn more about AgriSolutions and their three main brands, Belota, Ingersoll, and Trinity Logistics, visit agrisolutionscorp.com. Well, when Seguin, Texas farmer John Friesenhan started his conservation tillage journey in 1998, there was widespread skepticism that no-till and strip-till systems could be effective practices in his area. But as John likes to tell people, it's been 20 plus years now and I'm still in business. I don't think I need to justify if it works at this point, it works. Controlling variables is the primary benefit he sees on his 1,500-acre corn, cotton, and wheat operation from leveraging controlled traffic and precision technology to preserving precious soil moisture that can survive hot Texas summers. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, supported by AgriSolutions, we share excerpts from my conversation with John during a visit to his farm, where he shares some of the transformative benefits adopting strip-till and no-till on his operation. You know, when I first started my... um Organic matter uh, levels were from a half a percent to maybe close to one percent. And now I've gotten them up to, you know, eight tenths of a percent all the way to one and a half percent. So I've I've increased, but I, I don't think unless I really just would grow like some kind of a, you know, because I, I rotate between all and cotton is the worst. Of course, it, sure. it deplete. It takes whatever's there. Right. Um, if, if I tried maybe just like a, you know, wheat on wheat on wheat. Yeah. You know, maybe I could build up more, but after 20 years, if it hasn't increased, I don't think it's going to increase. Sure. It yeah. seems to, but I, you know, I, I'd say I easily a half a percent to maybe 1% increase in my soil organic matter. So you said uh, about 20 years you've been strip tilling. When, when did you start? What was the... Well, two, I mean, we were looking to get to be, I mean, plowing and, and you know, the cost of equipment and, you know, I'd had people working for me and it seemed like. I was just fixing what they were breaking. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so, you know, we'd heard lots of things about no-till won't work down here because we don't have the freeze and thaw. But we, one of our um, extension agents from out actually at west of here, we went on a tour and we went to some farms that were down along the border, down further south than here even. And uh, they were making it work down there. And I thought, well, if they can make it work down in Brownsville, there's no reason why I can't make it work here. Sure. So you're talking about strip till. Well, strip till, no till. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And the strip till kind of that that's what evolved. I mean, at first I tried no tilling, and and I you know like anything what we've had is when you first transition from conventional 
plowing into no-till, you know, the ground is just so claw, you know, and it, it, it was, it was, I was having a hard time getting good stands and everything. So I started with, the, you know, some of the Yetter strip tills and that kind of was a little more comfortable to live with, you know, that you could, I had a little tilled area that uh, the planter could work, get in and get a, I got a better stand. Because for us to try to, the warming up of the soil really isn't much of a factor down here. Right. We, we warm up without a problem, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> right. Um, but I've continued it because I do, I, I, it's given me some options there. There's one guy that really tries just straight no-till. And um, the problem is if we dry out, you it, then the ground gets so hard because we have a, a, we've got a fairly high clay content in a lot of our soils here. And that it, it just gets so hard that you just, he just couldn't get the planter in the ground. Mm -hmm. And by at least, pre-tilling a little bit, I can move, I, I call it like a dry soil mulch that I could, you know, push out of the way and, and, and to get to some wet soil. And luckily we haven't had a lot of those lately, but you know, it seems like when we're in a dry period, it may be three or four years, you know, where it's, so it gives me some options by doing this, you know, um, by strip tilling. And I will say the, the best thing for strip tilling has been auto steer and RTK. Mm -hmm. That's made life so much easier now because before you're constantly fighting the draft of the equipment, mm -hmm. you know, and trying to stay on that, that row that you'd made and it's little. And if you do get, it's, it's hard to see a lot of times. And even with row markers, it was, Oh, I mean, now I, I mean, all my equipment's got auto steer on it and I wouldn't, I wouldn't even think about going back, you know, what, what kind of system? I use Trimble. Okay. Uh, the Trimble auto steer. Is that the easy? Well, I, I, I have, we, it's, it's called, I have, um, in the, my main tractor, I've got the 2050 monitor. Okay. And uh, and then I do have some in the FM 1000s okay, sure. in, in the other, you know, I, you know, I just upgraded that one because like I said, I've been on auto steer for oh, close to 10 years now, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's just been that's just made life's. 100% easier sure. to do this because you don't even have to get. And in fact, what I like to do, you know, I, I know where the center of my strip is. I like to move over either two inches to the left or to the right, just in case I get, I don't want to plant right on top of that fertilizer band. So, and with auto steer, it allows me to do that. I mm -hmm. can, I can precisely move over. And so it's almost like a two by two placement, you know, mm -hmm. and it's worked out. I mean, it just because it because once you make the strip, the planter does want to go back to the middle of that strip. Mm -hmm. It just that's a softest spot in the field and it just naturally wants to go there and you've got to force it over. But with the auto steer, you can just sure. nudge it over and get how, it. How much do you usually slide over just to get off? Uh, you use planter? about two inches, two, inches two, two to three inches typically okay. is what I do. And I I guess I'm in the I, I do. I've I've tried. I'm in the more of the controlled traffic mm -hmm. type where I like, because even when I take soil samples uh, before, you know, when I plowed, of course, I would twist, you know, you, you get to that plow pan and you just couldn't get the soil probe through it. Where now I'm amazed. I mean, if, if we have the right moisture field content out there, I can take with one hand and just lean into it and go all the way down. And what I've noticed is even in the wheel tracks, yes, maybe the first four to five inches may be tight, and then once you get through that, it's just loose again. And then having that firmer ground, it just gives, if we do get a little wet or something, I figure I've, whatever compaction's there already, why, you know, some guys move over 50, because I'm on 30 inch rows, yep. move over 30 in, move over 15 inches. Um, 
and then you're going to compact that 15 inches over there there again i've i've just stayed it with my same rows and i i can't say that it, you know you can't break that up when you're harvesting 12 rows what those rows underneath i've just never but i i don't see much variation across you know it, it looks pretty even across the you know i can't see where the dual where the two row you know there's four rows that where the duels especially the pinch rows i i haven't seen you know visually that much difference now i haven't gone out there and analytically checked those ears because i just don't have time for that but um you know i i've it's just you know when when we if we get some cause sometimes we can get really wet and i've been able to get into the field you can keep talking and, you know get in, get into the field and and uh get things done, you know, where other guys, especially guys that have plowed have just, you know, it's just too, too messy, you know? And I think, and that's what helps coming into the winter and the springtime, you know, I've got residue still laying there and it, it's like a mat. It provides a mat for the tractor to drive over. So, um, even in the, even when we get into wetter conditions, um, there's, I think, an advantage. I don't know if you want to get this because no, no, we're getting. Oh, okay, yeah, because that's my no-till drill too. Yeah, sure. no, you know, I, I, I didn't want to. Yeah, the boat. We don't need to have the boat no, in. No, no, no. Right. <laughs> um, but um, I, I just have been. It's been, it, uh, it's been working for me. You know, there's a lot of guys that are still skeptical. Uh, in fact, in my county here, there's just really three guys that are trying a no-till strip-till farming, and uh, people are always asking, you know, is it working? And I'm like. It's been 20 plus years now and I'm still in business, you know, and so I don't think you need to say, does it work? It works. You know, I don't, and I, I don't want to go back to having to, I can remember when I was younger, changing up disc bearings and changing disc, you know, you're just, you know, there's just, it's so much easier. The, the one hardest thing that we've had to, it's the mindset is, what you do today, you have to think, what is it, how is it going to affect your farming three to four months down the road? Mm -hmm. You know, and one thing that I've, I've found, I was worried because in the fall after harvest, we can get, that's usually one of our wetter from September and, and October. That's when we get a lot of our rains most of the time. And they can be these torrential rains, you know, three to four inches in an hour a lot of times, even though it doesn't last that long. But it can be a gully washer, so to speak. And one thing that I found by, you know, we, we leave the stalks and you leave them intact, the roots intact. They hold that soil so much better than if you'd have plowed. I mean, we've we had, you know, in 1998, we had, and that's where I had, I had, I was starting to do some no-till, but I was still plowing and we had sheet erosion, even like my dad, he's lived here and just like we've never seen before. Of course, we got uh, close to 60 inches of rain in two days. So it was just <laughs> terrible. Uh, and that was another, when I saw that and I just like, well, I've just lost three inches of my, you know, the topsoil, you know, and now we still have erosion and I've talked to the, you know, NRCS guys and they're like, when you get that kind of rainfall, there's going to be, but it, it's confined, you know, we'll have it, it's, it, it, you know, instead of sheet erosion, you'll get real, you know, just, you know, maybe a lot of times it is, it's the, your tire tracks because it's firmer and that's where it doesn't percolate in as quick. Mm -hmm. So you get water running down those, those tracks where you drove in. Right. And once it breaks through that little heart compacted layer, it's just opens up, but still it's only maybe four rows out of 12 instead of the whole field. Right. So uh, I know we're saving. In fact, I've, I've, I've seen, you know, after some rains, I can look in my fields and I have clear water running out of my fields and my neighbors have muddy water, 
you know, and so I know I'm saving topsoil. So there's, there's a lot of advantage, like I said, to, I think, doing it. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, AgriSolutions, for making this podcast possible. Improve performance and durability with a wide range of infield solutions to advance your strip-till system. To learn more about AgriSolutions and their three main brands, Veloda, Ingersoll, and Trinity Logistics, visit agrisolutionscorp.com. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from John Friesenhan on how he's adapted his mindset and equipment to improve the efficiency of his strip-till system. The biggest that I would say is not necessarily the equipment, I guess it's the mindset Mm -hmm. of, for one, sometimes the best thing you can do is sit on your hands and do nothing. I mean, that's, that's the, that was a hard thing for me to do because when you were plowing, you're constantly working. It seemed like you, we'd get finished plowing one round and we would go back and start again. And, and so you always had something to do. And with going to a no-till, strip-till, uh, there's times when once you spray everything, you just have to let it sit and let the herbicide work. And then you wait until it greens up. But, you know, you can't just wait. If Oh, I see one green plant out there. you got to wait a little bit and time things. And so I'm, I'm definitely looking more ahead of myself. Let's put it that way. That's, sure. And then as far as equipment, I've been able to get smaller tractors lower horsepower tractors what what have you kind of moved from i know we talked a little bit about that but well going from um you know and i didn't have that big because i've gotten more acres that's been the thing since sure but going from you know 250 plus horsepower tractors now to where my biggest tractor is a hundred a 210 horsepower tractor okay and and what what kind of tractor case ih okay and i do have a john deere too i mean and and uh but when I got, I went from eight row equipment to 12 row equipment there again, just because I could, you know, be, as I got more acres, I could just cover the ground faster and more efficiently. And, uh, and the other, I guess, like, like even when I go through with the hooded sprayer, I try to combine trips. Like I have, uh, an extra set of nozzles that, you know, and because of auto steer, mm-hmm. if I see some, like, let's say sunflowers or something like that, mm-hmm. I can flip the switch and I can do kind of spot spray at the same sure, time. Sure. So, you know, do, you know, and, and do that. So that's another thing that I've tried to, instead of just plowing, you know, doing one operation at a time, I try and combine, uh, operations if I can, uh, when I'm out there. Um, so you mentioned kind of the, um, you know, obviously the, the labor savings, and we talked a little bit about the organic matter. Obviously, you, you've seen that you know, right. pop up a little bit over time. Uh, other kind of things you've been able to, to measure with your strip-till system that you've kind of, you know, can either attribute in part to the system you've put in place. I mean, whether it's, and, you know, you said, uh, I don't know if you've noticed any kind of a yield difference, you know, going to strip till or over time or just more consistency or um, if you've been able to save it all with, you know, fertilizer applications, moving to variable rate or anything you've been able to kind of measure or, or identify as part of that system? Well, you know, I, I, I try, I've, there again, I can't say my yield, my yields have, are on par with conventional sure. till uh and and it it depends on the year i i think if we get if i have a year where we catch because i will say i can we can tell too that the the uh, infiltration rates 
are definitely higher mm -hmm. because that, if, we, if we get a heavy rain where somebody that's plowed, there's water standing, you know, everywhere on those fields where ours, yes, when it's raining, there'll be water standing, but usually within, you know, six hours, there's hardly, except for the where we have the tire traffic marks, sure. we'll have water standing, but overall, 80% has already infiltrated into the soil. Um, we so, gave that example yeah. of that, you know, rain event you had where yeah. you saw that topsoil. I mean, that's not something that right there, right. you know, you're obviously retaining that, that right. topsoil. Yeah, you're not losing it. And, and well, and even, you know, if we, the more, you know, when we, if we get a big heavy rain and if we can capture more of that, have less, you know, that's all more for me, for the crop, you right. know. that'll lengthen that right. moisture available throughout the season. But and one thing that I guess on the opposite side of that that we've also noticed, and I and I'm I'm gonna assume the best way I can describe it is kind of like you know capillary action. Mm. If we have an extended dry period, I think, and and the other guy, I think our no-till soils might dry out deeper because you know that pro soil profile now there's no compaction layer. It can it, it, if we you know let's say we go three months without a rain. I think we're drier further deeper down because, you know, those guys have sealed it off again mm -hmm. and, and, and kind of capped that moisture. Like it can't get up anymore. So there's, there's that negative too. There's, it's not a perfect and, you know, it, but it, it's when we get that, you know, extended dry period that it can, it can hurt us as well. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's, that's another thing I've noticed and it's just, you know, you just live with it and just, <laughs> It's not a perfect, right? Um, I, I, I mean, I, I will, and I, I guess with the, the variable rate, I can't say that I've saved much fertilizer, but I know I'm now I'm putting it where it needs to be. Right. You know, right. that's uh, because again, I guess having done yield maps, there's just certain some, you know, soil types and some areas of the field that aren't going to yield, mm -hmm. and and so why put the fertilizer or even the the amount of plants and and it, and it hasn't evened out enough you know to where i can't get you know the the low production up to the high level production i i tried that and it just our our weather's too variable to try and and try and make that happen consistently sure. and so i just go for the average you know and i'll just end up saying this this these areas are going to make you know, 75 bushel corn, and this is going to make 100 bushel mm -hmm. corn. And I just, I apply, you know, seeding rates and fertilizer according to that. And, and it's, it works, you know, and if we have a really good year, well, hopefully that other stuff will make more and the, you know, they both will. And, right. and, uh, but if, you know, for us, it's come July, we're going to be hot and dry. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, that's, that's eight out of 10 years and that's just the way it's going to be. And I, I'll, I'll bet on that 80% chance than, than us getting a, you know, like this last year, if we could have just gotten uh, a July, middle of July rain for the cotton, it would have added probably another, you know, half a bale to our yield because we were wet up until April and then it just shut off and it didn't rain until almost September again. But it, the crops are already pretty much, except for cotton, which is a later crop, uh, they'd already matured, you know, and they were just drying down anyway. So we did really well, mm -hmm. but that's, that's what can happen. You know, we might, we, we were average, we got average rainfall, but we got 15 inches up until April and then we got nothing for the middle of the hot, dry summer and then we caught it again, you know, so we don't get, 
you know, two inches every month, you know, it's just, it's, it can be very sporadic, right. you know, and it just depends on when it hits, you know? So, and, and I wish if anything, I wish I could get more mulch or more residue on top of the soil. I think that would save, uh, would make, make things work better. Mm -hmm. There's just no doubt sure. that things would, would be better if we could just somehow, but it's just, like I said, we're just, it's decomposing all the time. Right. Right. There's just no way to try and get that, you know, right. and and that's I, I hadn't one of the things I was going to I, I had changed my closing wheels on the on the drill and I was going to try and put some di I was going to try and grab because I really think if I with the strip till if I could get the residue that's in the middle of the rows and after I've and put it on top and really cover that that would help shade it to where if it, it wouldn't because I've never once that soils like now the, the the textures it's just it works a lot uh, it's, instead of it's more crumbly mm -hmm. where before it was clotty mm -hmm. and uh, I've never had problems with planting even you know moving residue out of the way like if we have a rain and you just get a mat I mean and you could go and you know and underneath there it'd just be wet mm -hmm. but the planter the, the 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 soil doesn't stick like it used to it doesn't smear and it just would work so in my mind if i could come up or you know what my ideal system is like on the these miniature like the you know the hay the little uh wire kind of wheels you know that just kind of finger yeah. and pull it pull yeah. in the residue and don't really disturb but, but just harrows. yeah the harrows like that if i could kind of pull that in and make me a, a you know behind it i'll make a little trash put like basically you know trash or residue on top of my my uh, strip because again i'm not worried about warming it up it's going to warm up but for me down here that would be that's my my next little plant to, you know to try out and see what see what would happen um yeah that'd be an interesting setup yeah I mean, oh another thing I've, i i had because i was showing my my you know one thing my earth the earthworm levels have just you know really I, I just see a lot of earthworms in fact when i see here on you know there's an earthworm on the disc that's a cool shot yeah and uh he got cut unfortunately and <laughs> see there's another one but i see that all the time wow you know the earthworms are are and i figure they're doing my deep tillage for me you know they're working there all the time but and i have seen um a lot and in fact the guys that were coming out and did the varus he even made a comment he was showing me the same thing yeah he said look at these earthworms you got and i guess i i'm i've seen that now after you know and i just don't realize that a lot of guys don't see that because you're disturbing them all the time yeah i'm sure they're there but are they in the same numbers right you know that somebody who's doing a no-till strip till situation sure you know and uh so I let those guys do my plowing for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, right, I've and, heard that. That's uh, yeah, uh, the organic uh, tillage. Yeah. Know? So uh, that's that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Um, so uh, just a couple other things I was going to ask about. So um, you mentioned uh, your herbicide application. When, mm -hmm. when are you making? Well, like I'll I'll do a, a burn down probably depending on how bad it is. I mean, I may either I like to do it after I plant um, because then I've I, I'll you know. I can don't have to worry about driving on my strips because mm -hmm. that's kind of tough when you drive on the strips with your planter. But uh, if I need to, like I might this year, might need to go in there before just because if the weeds are getting too big. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll do a, a, a pre-plant or just post-plant burn down. Okay. And then like on corn, uh, a lot of times I'll come back and get, you know, 
uh, uh, I put some atrazine down for some residual control and probably another shot of Roundup to, to get what little second growth of weeds are coming up. And I, you know, and I've had, and once when, I do. When are you going to be usually doing that? For oh, that'll, that'll probably be the end of March or okay. into April. Gotcha. Um, you know, it just depends on the height of everything. And and how much you said the atrazine and the, the Roundup about how much you... Uh, usually it's a pound of atrazine. Okay. And depending on, I, I, you know, Roundup has gotten to where it's not quite what it used to be. I mean, I'll, I'll go anywhere from, you know, two thirds of a quart to all the way up to a quart. Okay. Um, I don't know how many ounces that are, are, is, but, mm -hmm. you know, to, to get, you know, it's, it's taken and we, we are having some resistant weeds down here now, the pigweeds and stuff. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you what uh, what do you guys kind of battle primarily down here? Uh, you know, now because around around up ready crops, Johnson grass used to be our, our number one, mm -hmm. but now they're not a problem because because Roundup is taking care of that. Um, especially like in the cotton, we're starting. You know, the the resistant uh, pigweed is just uh, and and a false ragweed is another one that's. And, and that's why I plant a, uh, with the Enlist technology, the, the cotton sure. with that, you, it's actually 2,4-D tolerant. It's amazing <laughs> how that cotton, it just, it's just like when I first started spraying Roundup on corn. I was just as scared <laughs> plant, spraying 2,4-D on cotton, and it, it works beautifully, you know. And, and, it, and we're able to control the weeds. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, it does a great job. Usually just one application of that, and then we follow up with just some Roundup because the cotton does a pretty good job once you, you know, it shades out everything. And, and uh, plus we're drying out by then and not that many weeds are coming up. So when are you guys making that application on cotton? Oh gosh, cause we'll plant cotton around April. I'm gonna say mid April. Cause if you can catch them early, those, those tough, early on, you're, it's better definitely than waiting. You yeah. know, the, the problem like that is again, you know, that April can be a wet month for us. And if things can get out, I've, I've done, quick, yeah. Right? And it's, and we've had to go, you know, where they were too tall for, but you just had to do, and it's worked really good. I mean, we've had weeds that were probably a foot tall and they just knocked them good. I mean, I've been real impressed with the enlist, uh, technology on the cotton i mean that's, and that's that's in in the seed or yeah it's in the seed yeah it's uh it gives us a nice you know and then the other added benefit we have you know pastures around here mm. and if we've always used every year i'd always have some 2,4-d damage to my cotton crop mm -hmm. you know because somebody uh, spraying and it we get drift mm -hmm. or and and or even the state you know spraying the right of way the roads and uh, now uh, I don't have any because it's resistant to 2,4-D yeah. and not that many. And 2,4-D is cheaper than dicamba. Most people are going to spray a 2,4-D right. on there, uh, you know, and because, yeah, that's how I destroy. That was one of the other big things. How do you we have to destroy our cotton crops so that we, for boll weevil eradication. Mm -hmm. But you can use a dicamba to to kill it mm -hmm. so we'll just when we i shred it and then i right behind my file shredder i just have nozzles and we just spray it a good shot of dicamba and that kills the cotton gotcha. and because you know that's they don't they know the bull weevils would overwinter in any live stalks and you know when you plow you can plow it and that would be that would kill it mm -hmm. but you know with no-till we can't and you'll see i had cotton in this field last year you know they're all the stalks are sitting there but they allow us to destroy as long as there's nothing green if it's all dead mm -hmm. 
we don't have to pull them out or plow them out. Okay. And so they've the and it's it's worked. In fact, in this county, we're considered boll weevil free. Oh. So so we there's not a lot of cotton grown here. Sure. But um, it it again it it's I think with maybe the no till. I mean and. My ideal is to rotate cotton back into wheat, but I haven't planted a lot of wheat the last couple of years because mm -hmm. the price has been low. But the wheat stubble really protects the small cotton. And so you don't get a, a lot of wind damage and everything. And it's just, it works so beautiful. It's, it's, that would be my ideal rotation is to plant cotton into wheat stubble. Um, if, if it would, if wheat would just be a little more profitable, I've got a little bit of wheat planted this year again, but sure. it's just the prices. I think the, the Ukrainians are going <laughs> to, and, and I knew this was going to happen. They yeah. could grow wheat and we're not, we don't grow that great of wheat down here anyway, but it was, a, it was a good rotation, you know, yeah. and um, it was, you know, to me, you break up the, the summer crops with this winter crop, you, you different pests and everything. Mm -hmm. And like I said, planting cotton into wheat stubble was just, really, really worked great. Well, thank you, John, for letting me visit you on your farm and share some of the experiments and lessons you've learned adopting strip-till. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, AgriSolutions, for helping make this strip-till farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com and for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2020 series. For John Friesenhan, AgriSolutions, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening.